The other day I was leaving here and I should have gone home or thought I was going home. We had just finished planning a bunch of stuff and I thought, I got to get home. I'm hungry. I have to use the restroom. My brain's going, tw- you know, 120 miles an hour like usual and I got to get home and then God says, pick up the trash. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. So I pull into this lane to back up, do a three-point turnaround and I come back and I go to pick up this garbage on the side of the road and it's so gross that it sticks to the ground and like stringiness is, is like, like pulling against and, and, and I'm going... I can't put this in my car. And then, just, you know what I mean? I was like, what, what even is this? So I go, oh, man, now this has turned into a deal. And then I thought, what if God has me doing this because somebody's watching? And just then the neighbor yells, I was going to pick that up, but it was too nasty. Um, and I, so I walk over to explain to him that I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to go get a bag at the church, and then I'm going I'm to get it. So don't, you know, I'm not leaving it. I'm not like, yeah, it's too nasty. God, deal with it. I'm actually going to, you know, two hours later, I leave his house, meaning we just got into the most real, intense, we skipped all the non-transcendental conversations that humans have about weather and stuff that doesn't matter, right? Although, admittedly, I'm much more interested in weather now than I was 20 years ago. I'm like, what's the weather? What's the temperature? What's the barometric pressure? What's the humidity? What's the pollen count? What's the wind? Google, what's the wind? In Seaford, there is no wind. You're a liar, Google. You're a liar. You're lying to me. Uh, I can tell you, there's at least seven mile an hour wind right now, Google, you liar. Um, <laughs> but we get into this real conversation that takes, we talk for two hours. He starts asking me questions at the end and I'm like, I got to go home, buddy. Let's, how about this? I'll just take you out to lunch tomorrow. So then the next day we go out to lunch and I, I scheduled a good two hour chunks. We'd have plenty of time. We talked the whole time and then I sat there in his drive and he wouldn't get out of my car and I was late to my next meeting because he wouldn't get out of my car. When they finally got out of my car, he says, I love you. And I was like, what even just happened? There's more to the story, but like, isn't that fun? And all because I let the Lord totally inconvenience me. Um, Adam Bauer, when he came this last Thursday night, we asked him to come and talk about becoming love. But then he called me and said, the only thing that I can talk about... Why am I still holding this? Um, The only thing I can talk about from the heart is what the Lord's been saying to me about generosity and money and how greed is such an issue in the Christian life and how um, greed and generosity is such a big deal to God because it's such a stronghold to so many people. And so he had this whole thing he wanted to share about it and he, can I tell you five minutes what I, what I was saying? And an hour later, I was like, oh, he's like me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where you have to like set the boundaries at the beginning of the conversation. I have literally five seconds. Okay, bye. I'll call you later. Boom. You know what I mean? That's what you have to do with me, by the way, if I interrupt your day and you're in the middle of something important. Don't let me talk your ear off when you're busy. Please don't. Because then you'll resent me. And I'm totally comfortable with you saying, I don't have time right now. Tim, I love you. Bye. Click. Do that with me, please. So he came on Thursday night and talked about money, but he talked about so much more than money. And one of the things that I felt really excited about was his prayer of wake up every morning and say to the Lord, everything is yours. I surrender the wallet and the clock to you today, Jesus. You know the adventures you're going to get into when you say that to Jesus? He'll take you up on that. The next thing you know, he'll be like, all right. Let me make a withdrawal from your little wallet and let me make a little withdrawal from your, wa- from your clock. 
you know? And, and then you're going to rack up a bunch of little stories, little God stories. Some of them are for you to tell, and some of them are just for you to treasure in secret with nobody knowing except Jesus, that you did it for the least of his brethren unto him. And, on, and then on like, someday, someday in eternity, it'll all come back, and you'll have forgotten. You'll say, when? When did I stop and pick up that hitchhiker? When did I give that lady at Walmart $5? When did I take her cart back for her? And when did I help her carry the groceries? When did I do that? I don't remember that. And he'll say, you did it then and you did it then. And when you did that, you did it unto me. When did you not avert your eyes from that person who scared you? From that person you thought, oh, they're mentally ill. Oh, they're unwashed. You did it unto me. There's something so amazingly uh, divine about every person we encounter so that how we engage strangers, in terms of the Old Testament, there's a major theme running through the Hebrew Old Testament that you can tell someone's righteousness by how they extend hospitality to strangers or to put it in modern language, how you treat people you don't know. Dave Barry likes to say, A person who's nice to you but not nice to the server at a restaurant is not a nice person. This principle never fails. Isn't that interesting? And the way Abraham welcomed the three guests was the measure. It was God testing Abraham. God shows up as three guests. The text doesn't tell us exactly, are these angels? Is this a theophany? Is it God showing up as a human? Is it the Trinity? We don't know. So Christians have speculated. But, but the text is intentionally ambiguous. But what we do know is Abraham's response to the stranger ends up being his response to the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that fascinating? And so many of us have been experienced people in such a way that we've become cynical We're extremely distrustful until you earn our trust. And I'm not suggesting that you should trust everybody, but I am suggesting that you need to love everybody. And it's so easy when we see someone to close ourselves to the the possibilities, the divine possibilities that are tucked away in them. But the reality is, no matter how hard you try to resist that, you can't help yourself. This is why when people who were in your life leave your life, it hurts. This is why people who you had high expectations for hurt you. This is why you had high expectations for them. Because you intuited, you sensed their divine potential. You sensed the greatness that was tucked away in them, even though it was marred by sin. Isn't that interesting? All right, that was all free. If you have Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. How many of you actually set your alarm to 10.02 and have been praying the Luke 10.2 prayer? That's going to set you up. When you pray for the Lord to send out workers into the harvest, you're going to notice the harvest. God will let you be the answer to your own prayer. Oh, and by the way, this is what I noticed. You have to actually tell your alarm to be every single day rather than one time because then you hit dismiss and then three days later you're like, I feel like I haven't prayed for the harvest lately. Oh, don you, android. Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to read the Beatitudes real quick. One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and his disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. 
God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. If you look, this is the word of the Lord, if you look at Luke, thanks be to God is right. I even got the Teen Challenge guys saying that now. Yeah, it is. If you look at Luke chapter 6, which is Luke's version of the Beatitudes, he says, God blesses you who are poor. Well, that's amazing. God, for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. What blessing awaits you when people, there it is again, God and people having the opposite response to you as you follow Jesus. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. What sorrow awaits you who are rich? For you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now? For a time of awful hunger awaits you. What sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? For their ancestors also praised false prophets. So here's the interesting thing about Jesus is Jesus mostly talked in parables, which is to say, instead of simply reading the Bible and then explaining the Bible, he would make up stories to undermine what people thought the Bible meant. I'm going to say it again. Instead of reading the Bible and then explaining the Bible, he would make up stories that undermined what people thought the Bible meant. Parables introduce, first, parables contradict something that seems to be a biblical truth by introducing a truth that was not as clearly seen that contradicts it. Parables do not explain things to you. They unexplain things to you and send you on a journey to search out answers. Jesus, as a teacher, is not interested in telling you what to think. He is interested in getting you on a life of obedience to his teachings, which contradict natural human wisdom. 
He is less interested in telling you what to think, and he is more interested in you searching for the truth. Are we making sense yet? So the traditional wisdom is that if you obey God's principles in the scripture, you will be financially blessed. And that's true, isn't it? Are we right? That's a... Yeah, there we go. It's a principle, not a promise. Meaning, it generally works that way, but there are exceptions. If you follow God's principles, you will be physically healthy. Your relationships will be better. You will be financially blessed. These are all good things. We we ought to follow God's principles. Jesus himself said, you ought to tithe, but don't neglect the love of God and mercy to people. So he's not trying to undermine genuine Bible commands, but he is undermining a mindset that says, if you are rich, you are blessed. If you are poor, you are not. We invite to teach. We invite people to come talk to us who are successful, good-looking, attractive, popular, and cool. Tell me I'm wrong. We are less likely to talk, we are less likely to get you to come tell us how to live the Christian life if you are one of the people Jesus identifies in the Beatitudes. Tell me I'm wrong. The people that Jesus identifies as the ones God is blessing are the least likely to have a speaking tour in the Christian church. Tell me I'm wrong. I find that amazing. And so when we, we, evaluate how, we, we evaluate how our life is going upside down from the kingdom of God. He tells us to be happy when we are unpopular. None of, most of us are not happy when we're unpopular. He tells us when we can hardly string our little, our little pennies together to pay the bills that you're doing just fine. He tells us when we are when we are racked with sobs over the state of our own children or the state of our own soul and we are begging him for his kingdom to break in and we want his will more than anything and we deprive ourselves, we don't even know we're doing it. It doesn't look like righteousness to us. It looks like weakness. It looks like hunger. It looks like desperation. It looks like loneliness. It looks like fatigue. And he says, ah, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. This one's gonna get filled. This one's blessed. See, there's a difference between what looks like what it's blessed and what is blessed. There's a difference in what feels blessed and what is blessed. And I'm not suggesting that anyone with money isn't blessed. I don't know if he is either, but there's a fascinating thing he says. Jesus had money, just so you know. He didn't have a house, but look, his his clothes were so nice that the soldiers fought over him. I'm just throwing that out there. He didn't have a home, but it wasn't because he couldn't have had one. He had one for 30 years. And who was it that supported Jesus? Wealthy women. Were they in sin because they were wealthy? No. The obviousness of the fact that they were supporting him, that they were generous with their money, meant it wasn't their God. In other words, their money wasn't their blessedness. Their relationship with with God was their blessedness. So if they... If they're drawing their sense of blessedness from popularity, from fame, from money, from any of these things, it's no longer a blessing. It's actually now become a prison. It's now become a curse. Are are we tracking? 
And I, like, so last time you heard me talking about the, the necessity, the absolute necessity of walking by faith in the invisible God of the impossible promise. This, this necessity of saying, look, my, my vision for my life, God, is not all that I'm going to do for you as much as I want that. It's not all that. My vision for my life is my relationship with you. My vision for my life can't be the legacy and the impact I have on others as much as I burn for that. But that is your work, God. The impact my life has on others is outside of my control. But what's in my sphere of responsibility? How I choose to steward my heart with him. How I choose to steward my heart with you. And if I set my goals on, on the, the stuff that's outside of my sphere, the next thing you know, when people speak ill of you for the son of man, you feel defeated, you feel like a failure, you feel like there's something deeply wrong with you, and Jesus says, that's how they treated me, why are you... The meme that says, why are you running? I want to say, why are you crying? Why do you let that move you? Look, have a pure heart towards people. Have a, have, a, have a humble spirit. Be willing to hear what people are thinking and feeling. But they don't live with you. They don't live inside you. They don't know you. No one but you and Jesus are the expert on your heart and you not as much as him by a long shot. And if he, and if he in the secret place when you stretch out before him is pleased and you know that, what else is there? Isn't, this, isn't Jesus like, just like so, I'm telling you, would we really, we think, we, we say the Beatitudes was the greatest sermon ever preached. We say that. We say that. I bet if you'd have been there, it'd just been another day at the office, another day at church, nothing that unusual. Another confusing message that didn't make sense to you. Where he says the opposite of everything that you've been taught your whole life and then doesn't explain it, which is what he does. He just puts so many cookies on the top shelf that the kids are like, I want a cookie. Well, then you're going to have to climb. And that's just like Jesus, isn't it? He is not, he is not interested in blessing us beyond the, the, our capacity to walk intimately with him and not be distracted, and not be led astray by the blessing. If he takes the Israelites through the wilderness and into the promised land with the attitudes they have, they become idol worshipers even quicker in the promised land than they did in the desert. Tell me I'm wrong. Unless we're willing to allow the Lord to waste our life I, and, and actually view him as worth that. Spend my life how you want, Father. then I'm not sure if we're yet disciples. Or maybe I'll put it this way. I believe that is one of the lessons, the primary lessons of disciples. Loving your life in this life can take many forms. Many of them look very Christian. I feel like I need to unpack that. In John 12, Jesus says, if you love your life, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Y- you want to follow me? Yeah. 
This right here. You take this up. What does this mean? Now, this is not you dying to sin. This is not, this is not I should say, this is not you achieving your, your righteousness over and over again, redoing the work of Jesus for, for forgiveness. No, not at all. No. That's not what, that's not what this means. The cross is sufficient to cover us and qualify us and unite us to God 100% without us doing anything except our yes. So what does it mean that we take up our cross and follow him? Well, I don't know what it means for you. I don't know what it means for you. And I'm learning what it means for me because it's different in different seasons of life. But there's a holding on, there's a self-preserving holding on to ownership of my life that has to die. If I'm to really have the joy of the fellowship with him that he wants for me, I will, I will waste the season I'm in holding on to and resenting either the Lord or people for the fullness of life that's already available right now if I'll surrender. If you love not your own life unto death, you can have fullness of joy today. Or you can tell, keep telling yourself a story about how your life is bad, which proves that you're still holding on to your life and defining for, to yourself the meaning of your days. Then you can end up as a person who actually is being persecuted for righteousness, but you hate that and you're mad at Jesus about it. Or you can end up as a person who, is, who, who's, who obeys the word that says give to the poor. You give to the poor, but then you resent the Lord that you don't have what you want because what you want is the ability to take your kids on vacation. And what that's proving is that you're still loving your life in this world to the degree that it's actually robbing you of a treasure in heaven. And I don't mean rewards in heaven. I mean your treasure, your heart being satisfied in your relationship with God that has nothing to do with what anybody else around you is doing. No one around you has the authority to steal your joy. No one around you has the authority to make you bitter. No one around you has the authority to make you depressed. No one around you has the authority to make you have a bad day. No circumstances have any authority over you if you know who he is and agree with him. But the extent to which we love our own lives in this world, and that takes, again, many Christian forms, you can hold on to that and then look for Christians whose lives you want in a worldly way. Their marriages are awesome. Their kids are well-behaved. They have money. They have answered prayers. They have a healing ministry. You can, you can do the charismatic version of this thing. This is why I have so much passionate love for people like Rollin and Heidi Baker. Because with them, it's pure. With them, it's clean. This is why I love Brian and, and Adam. Bauer. This is why I love Kim Borowski. It's clean. It's pure. When God told her, ask me for $30,000 for your church, she was like, well, you're stretching me here because I don't, I don't know how to do this. She steered clear of prosperity gospel and accidentally steered clear of faith on the topic of money. But what she knew was, I don't want to be greedy in the name of faith because she'd seen that done. And God said, ask me for $30,000 for your church because God actually trusts their church that they'll take that $30,000 and not just be blessed to be blessed, but be blessed to be a blessing. He trusts them. So he had her call it in. Boom. She had a burden from the Lord. She prayed, she prayed, she prayed. And then two days before the $30,000 shows up, she, she stopped having a burden. That's amazing. Guys, that's incredible. That's also why I trust Kim. Her joy 
is to see the kingdom come. Her treasure is not the stuff. Her treasure is the people, is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the people, the Father, Son, and the Spirit love. So now we don't use people to get money. We use money to serve people. So now we don't use spiritual gifts to make a name for ourselves. We serve people in love to make a name for Jesus. And if they don't remember to give us credit, we don't sweat it. The world might not know your name. The church might slander your name while they are walking out fruit they got from you. And it's not going to be till the other side that we realize that just how much your sacrifice mattered. But you're not going to get there well if you love your own life. Let me read you a prophetic word Adam Bauer gave us the other night. Adam Bauer. What was this? October 18th? Something like that? 2018. I saw a drain and water going down it. Whenever something is moving in the tub towards the pipe, it begins to run faster and faster. And at the same time, it begins to start a circular motion around the container as it begins to enter the space above the drain. This can feel like things are repetitive and out of control. Anyone feel like maybe that a little bit right now? Repetitive and out of control? Not again! (laughs) The best thing you can do is relax. Let go and enjoy the ride. He said three things he sees. Number one, I see recruits coming in. People who are not in phase 10, they are in phase one. I see compassion for those who have no foundation. They're being prepared and they're being worked with. Second thing he said he saw. I see people inviting two people to everything. I see personal invitations. I want you to come with me. I want to be with you. And later on he clarified and he said, I see people inviting two people to everything and it doesn't matter if those people come or not. What matters is that you remembered them, you thought of them, and you invited them. The third thing he said he sees, I see people putting down their phones. Ironic that I'm reading this off my phone, right? I see people putting down their phones and being with each other and enjoying each other's company. And then he said, I felt like I heard the word let go. Not in a surrender type of way, but understand this. You have nothing to lose. Nothing can be taken from you. It all belongs to God. The only thing worse than being a lost sheep without a shepherd is being a stubborn sheep, not moving on to the next pasture where the shepherd is already gone. When all the grass is eaten and the only thing that remains is dirt and poop, it's no fun for anyone and it stinks. It's time for you to be with your first love and then enjoy what it is he wants to show you. See, he's, he's moved on. Jesus has moved on ahead. I felt like I heard this. The teaching of the Nicolaitans is being brought down in this place, which means that testimony is going to increase. And the teaching of the Nicolaitans isn't necessarily taught 
It's more of a stronghold in people's thinking that says, they're the minister and I'm just part of the congregation. We are a holy priesthood. And we've all been called. And we all have callings in our lives. And you don't need a formal ministry to love people. Permission granted. Test it. Hold on to whatever's good. Reject whatever's evil. And don't treat prophecies with contempt.